You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I'm excited to get to preaching, man. I tell you, I, I, by the way, and what's one of the reasons sometimes I get up here and you'll notice while I'm leading a song or something, I'll, I'll get distracted and all of a sudden I'll be like, what verse are we on? You want to know why sometimes I'm thinking about this? I'm thinking about this. My mind uh, gets to wondering. Uh, but anyway, uh, John 18, Jesus Christ is standing before Pilate, about to be crucified. He's being um, interrogated here by Pontius Pilate. And in Matthew number 18, I'm sorry, in John 18, um, let's just start reading verse number 33, and we'll read on down just to get a little bit of context. John 18, verse number 33, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, that, or said, He said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me, what hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then, I would, then my servants would fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Now notice starting here in verse number 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, listen, that I should bear witness unto the truth. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? He says, I, the reason I came is to bear witness to the truth. He goes on to say, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate, famously, I might add, saith unto him, What is truth? What is truth? Now this morning, I want to preach on this thought about transforming tr truth. I want to preach on the thought, Jesus, the person of our worldview. We've been talking about worldview. We've been talking about truth specifically because if you don't have the foundation of truth, you don't have much. If you don't have a point of reference, uh, it's hard to get... Uh, anywhere or to see if you're making it anywhere Jesus said I came to bring truth to the world <laughs> see Pilate here was not merely discussing the truth with the Lord Jesus Christ he was looking at the truth right in the eyeballs see just days before Jesus looked at his disciples and he says I am the way the truth and the life so it's not what is truth. Pilate was looking at the truth. So I ask you today, do you know the truth today? Uh, Jesus is the person of our worldview. And folks, there is a transforming truth in the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus said, I came into this world to spread and to communicate to a lost and a dying world. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and I'll try to give you the thoughts on my heart today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the great privilege to be able to stand here today. I thank you for everyone that is here today, everyone that is listening, and I pray that you will work in every heart accordingly. 
God, there's no doubt in my mind that there's some here today that do not know you in a relational sense. They do not know you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that this day would be the glad day that they would make the decision that so many of us have made to call on you, to turn to you, Lord, to be saved by your grace, to know the truth, to be set free by the truth. And I pray that you'll help us as your people to be encouraged to walk and live and love in truth. So help us today, dear Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we begin to look here at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, Pilate says, what is truth? See, he was saying that truth is a person to relate to. That the way is a person to interact with and follow and that he's the only true source of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, the life. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, truth is a way of living. Truth, I, I want to try to submit to you this today. Truth is not just something you believe. Truth is a way of living. And, and life itself is embodied. Truth and life in God in the person of God and the means to obtain the truth the way and the life is through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ see a true biblical worldview is a relationship Jesus what did not come into the world to try to correct the theology of the Jewish leaders Jesus did not come into the world to start some new religion, to add to the pantheon of religions out there today. That's not why he came. See, folks, the reason that Jesus came was he was offering a way to restore God's original design for a world that's gone crazy. He was offering the means to restore the God-human relationship that had been broken by sin. So when he says, I've come to bear witness of the truth, the truth is relational. The truth is God wanting to restore that relationship that he has with a lost and a dying world. And I just got to pause and say, I'm so glad that tr the truth and that salvation is about a relationship, aren't you? And not just religion. You're not looking at a guy up here that's just some religious dude keeping the rules of this particular type of church. No, you're looking at a guy that one day met the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, you're looking at somebody who the Lord, and, and not personally as far as physically seeing. I met him personally, but not physically. But folks, I'm glad today that I know him. See, and that's why the Lord came. Relationship was key, and it still is. Dartmouth Medical School commissioned a scientific study of young people. The project they called Hardwired to Connect. This group analyzed the results of more than 260 studies of youth. The report stated that 100% of all the studies they analyzed showed that that from the moment a baby is born, his or her brain is physically, biologically, and chemically hardwired to connect with others in relationships. 
<laughs> Maybe you're familiar with the study. Uh, uh, I mean, man, you talk about a, a terrible study. It was a study they had to stop, but it was an experiment they were doing with newborn babies. They, were, they took a group of newborn babies. Uh, and by the way, I don't think I'm volunteering my newborn baby for any experiments, are you? But some people allowed their newborn babies to be involved in this experiment. And, and one group of newborn babies, they, uh, they, 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 they coddled, they picked up, they, they padded. They, and, but the other group of newborns, they tried, to, they tried to leave totally alone and did the very bare minimum. No extra affectionate touching, no uh, picking up, nothing at all. They stopped the study. The reason they stopped the study is because in the one group, now they didn't have to stop it for the group that was being hugged and loved and all that. They were a healthy group. But they had to stop the study because in the other group, some of those babies began to die. See, man is made for relationships. And we can see how our society has, uh, man, you know, we live in a day of social media. And isn't it amazing? Uh, I mean, we're, we're so connected today. But it seems like the more we, we get connected on social media, the more disconnected we can be. I mean, you know, I, I say this to young people, but I say it to the older people as well. Man, don't let your whole, whole world be social media. Don't let your whole, uh, you know, esteem be based on the likes that you get on you know, your social media page or the, the shares or the grades or the comments or whatever else. Do not, let, do not wrap your uh, sense of worth up in that. And, but, but it hurts relationships. Uh, and so uh, man was mated, made, not mated, uh, he was made to be relational. You know, that shouldn't be any surprise because each of us are created in the image of a relational God. A God for the for the purpose of relationships. That's why God made us. We're made in the image of a relational God for the purpose of relationships. In fact, did you know the healthier we are relationally, the more receptive we'll be to God's relational truth? It's really hard because we've all, we, none of our relationships have been perfect, but the worse off people have been in their relationships with their families, with their dads, with their moms, with their siblings and loved ones, a lot of times the harder it is for them to relate to what it means to have a relationship with God. Because for a lot of people, relationship means hurt. Relationship means pain. Father means abuf abusive and distant. You know, I mean, mother uh, means high standards that I could never live up to. So we, it's harder when, when our relationships are goofed up, which a lot of them are. But it's not impossible, amen, because we're introduced to a great, healthy relationship with the Lord. But uh, as relational beings, we think and we feel. We have both a mind and a heart. See, the thing that I'm trying to emphasize today is that the truth is not mere facts to be learned. The truth was meant to be proclaimed in the context of relationships so that it would reach both our intellect and our emotions. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he had a great ministry there among the Thessalonians, and here's what he said to them in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Because ye were dear unto us. 
So what we see is this relational uh, salvation with God Almighty. It, we, we know Him, but then we see this illustrated in the church. Paul said, I, I gave you the gospel. I gave you the facts, Jesus Christ, that we're all born sinners, that there's wages of sin, there's a payment for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Uh, the gift of God is eternal life. But I, but I told you how that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose again the third day, and now that if you will repent and turn to Him, you can be saved. So Paul gave them these facts, but now we can see, not only did He give them facts, but He gave them this relational thing. He said, I gave you the gospel, but I loved you. <laughs> I cared about you and you for me. Because not only is our our salvation based relationally, but even our service as a church is based relationally. See, Paul was passing on faith, the, the faith in a relational way, just as Christ had modeled it. See, the truth he proclaims to us appeals to our minds by pointing out our dilemma. Our dilemma is, man's dilemma is sin, man's dilemma is death. So the truth appeals to our minds, but it goes on to de demonstrate a love that will ultimately provide a solution, a way to re regain a relationship with God, and that is that the Lord was willing to go to the cross for you and for me. Ain't that awesome? That he went through all that. He loved us enough to go to the cross. See, we live today in a broken and relationally disconnected so culture. Each of us has relational and emotional struggles. A set of facts that appeal solely to the intellect will not solve our emotional and relational issues. Rather, it is truth within the context of relationships that we can believe with our minds and experience with our emotions. It's God's penetrating truth that reveals our true condition loves and accepts us for who we are and makes provision to freely forgive us. In other words, basically what I'm trying to say is just simply this, that it's not just, our worldview is not just a set of facts. What we present to people in truth is not just a set of facts. It is facts, but it's more than that. We're not just presenting, hey, here's a, here, here's a list of things you should believe. Here's a catechism that you should uh, memorize and believe all this stuff. No, there's truth to be believed, but there's also truth to be experienced in relationship. We're offering a forgiveness from God, a relational truth that every, every human being craves. People don't know that. You know that? If you're here today, if you're listening to me today, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, what are you craving? What is it that you're looking for? See, a lot of times we think, you know what, man, I, I'm really going hard after this because I think if I can, I mean, there's, there's people that do that with religion. That they seek so hard and they're so devout and committed to their religion. And they think that's going to, you know, fix that. Or, or, or maybe it's things of this world oftentimes. Man, I'm just going to try to do whatever makes me happy, do whatever I want to do. But how's that working out for you? I mean, ultimately, it may be good in the moment, but what about afterwards? And what about ultimately? Because really, I'll tell you what you're craving today. I'll tell you what you're missing today. And that is a relationship that only, a relationship that only, uh, that God could fill. 
See, when we think about it today, this is a cool thing, and I know this is a little bit different message, but I'm just trying to give you these thoughts and lay out some of these principles about a relational worldview. Christianity was birthed from Judaism. Jesus' immediate followers, the early church, was made up primarily of Jews. And I'm saying that for a reason, so just bear with me. See, it was birthed from a people that had been raised under a, uh, a Hebraic model of education. In other words, a Hebrew model of education. Just bear with me. Our Western culture employs a form of teaching based on Hellenistic uh, teaching or a Hellenistic model. In other words, Greeks shaped much of how we think today about education and disseminating information. The basic goal, you think about how we learn stuff or how taught stuff in school. It's, I mean, it's everywhere. Our society, our Western culture is you memorize a lot of facts, you cram it in, then how do you know whether or not you've learned those facts that you've been cramming in? You take a test, you're asked those things, so now you regurgitate it, and if you, do, if you remember enough of those facts, you pass and you move on. That's, that's the Greek, the Hellenistic uh, system. But the, 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 the Hebrew system was a little bit different. It actually, it was vastly different. Uh, and, and we can see it demonstrated in the New Testament. We can see it demonstrated, hopefully, within the church. See, the Christian faith is an integrated and organic cycle. Integrated, in other words, it's within us, organic. It comes naturally. And here's what happens. Number one, intimately knowing the truth. Isn't it great to learn the Word of God, and as you learn the Word of God, you're growing in your relationship with God, and you're growing in relationship to others? It's not just about learning facts. Number two, being, being the truth in relationship with God and others. I'll say more about that in just a moment. Living the truth before the world around us. Under the, the, the educational system that the Jews were a part of, the goal and the model is not mere memorization of repeatable facts. The goal is for the truth to become one with the pupil to the point to where it's lived out. That explains Christianity, doesn't it? The truth becoming one with that person learning to the point to where it's lived out in our lives. See, under this approach, truth is to be learned by practicing it with relationship with others, those around us. This means that we, not, we have not necessarily learned a truth. Listen to this closely, church. Just because we've learned a truth and, and can repeat it to someone doesn't mean that we really know the truth. See, because there's a lot of times as Christians we can tell ourselves, Oh, yeah, I, I go to a church where we believe the truth. We've learned the truth. But see, if it is not li being lived out through our lives, you could put it this way. We would pass the Hellenistic model, the Western model that we're used to. In other words, there's many of us that if you put down on a piece of paper, how does the Bible say we ought to treat one another? You know, all we could say, well, be kindly affection one to another, tenderhearted. What does the Bible say about forgiving one another? Well, the Bible says that we should forgive. Uh, and what does the Bible say if somebody's offended you? Uh, you know, what did what Peter say 470-something times in a day or whatever it was? 70 times 7? He says, uh, he says, you forgive that many times. We could pass our type of test, but what we do with that is we fool ourselves. 
What kind of relationship do we have with the truth? We could pass that test, but we are not passing the test if I'm not actually being kindly affectionate to you. I am not passing the test if I am not forgiving you and forgiving those that have done me wrong. I'm not passing the test. I can pass the written test, but I'm not passing the living test. You know what I'm saying? I can pass the test. What does the Bible say about sharing our faith with the lost and dying world? Well, it says, man, we ought to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What's the Bible say about exercising our spiritual gifts within the church? You see where I'm getting at? And so what can we say? Oh, we know the truth. But in reality, if we're not really living the truth, that, that's, that, that's God's purpose. That's what He wants. See, if we're not careful, we can merely lodge these truths and these facts into our mind. It is learned, though, only when it's reflected in our lives, in a relationship to God, and in our relationship to others around us. In this educational model, again, the testing is in living out what we've learned relationally. The question isn't whether we have the information correctly stuffed into our heads but rather how the truth has transformed our attitude and behavior. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been around very long, I've been in some churches, and I've known some Christians, buddy, that seem to know it all. They know their Bibles. They can talk the part. They can look the part. And they're mighty proud of it. And they got attitudes that stink to high heaven. And they think they're better than the next person. And, uh, and, and on and on. Folks, what, what good is that knowledge doing you? Nothing. You're failing the test. Don't trick yourself by saying, oh yeah, I know the truth. But are you really learning the truth? If we're not living the truth, we're not really learning the truth. Just because you know a set of facts does not justify you. That's why the Bible says, be a what does it say? It says, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. And you know what it added to that? Being a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word. Anybody know that next part? Deceiving ourselves. We can trick ourselves. Oh, I know it all, but how's it relating to your life? See, Christianity, this is the thing we've got to understand as we talk about truth and we talk about worldview. Christianity isn't simply a worldview to be discussed, debated, and proven on a rational basis, but rather demonstrated on a relational and transform, uh, transform, uh, formidable uh, basis. Transformation, relational. The, this is Christianity as God intended it to be. This is the type of Christianity that will pass and make a difference to the next generation. <clears throat> yes, I need to teach my kids the facts. I need to go right down along the line and teach them what thus saith the word of God. But if I'm not demonstrating that, if I'm not living that out before them, then what's going to happen? I'm not, in, I'm not guiding them. I'm not leading them in that way. And so it's not really been passed down to the next generation. And it's no wonder, as I've said a few different times, that, you know, going back to that statistic, 64% of those who profess to be Christian adults uh, don't, believe in, uh, don't believe in absolute truth. 80% of those uh, teens that were polled that claim to be Christian don't believe in absolute truth. You say, how's that possible? They don't have the right relationship with the truth. And I'll demonstrate that in just a moment. 
In A.D. 130, Justin Martyr declared that the Christian faith revolved around a continuing cycle of believing, belonging, and behaving. He said that's what Christianity was in the second century. Believing, belonging, and behaving. See, our goal, number one, is to know what we believe. So that's important. We need to know what we believe. But number two, we need to know why we believe it. I love those Berean Christians, don't you, in the book of Acts? Many of you may not be familiar, but there was a group of Christians that the Apostle Paul would preach to, the Berean, they were from Berea. And the Bible says, man, those Berean Christians, he said they weren't like those of Thessalonica. He said, they, when I would preach to them, they would go home, I'll paraphrase here, they would go home and search the scriptures whether the things I was saying was right. You listen closer to this, any preacher, any teacher that you ever listen to that says you need to believe it because I said it, you need to limit how much you're listening to that individual. Because you don't need to believe one thing I'm telling you today because I'm telling it to you. Don't believe it. You go search for yourself and then don't believe it on the basis of me telling you. Believe it on the basis I challenge you. Because what I am determined by God's grace to preach to you is the truth. I want to live the truth and therefore I'm confident. Take that Bible. Make a note. Say, what did he write down? Or what, what did he say? I don't agree with that. I mean, go search whether those things are so. Uh, so, number one, know what you believe. Uh, know why you believe it. Number three, how these truths are relevant to life and how they transform us internally and finally. I want to say that again. Know what we believe. Know why we believe it. How these truths are relevant to us and transform us internally. There's another thing churches a lot of times like to do, and this can happen even in good Bible preaching churches, to where people start trying to transform you outwardly before inwardly. Now, don't let anybody tell you that outwardly don't matter. The Bible says, well, the Bible says that God, you know, man looketh on the outward, God looks on the heart. That's true. But that verse in and of itself does not mean that what we do and how we live outwardly doesn't matter. It's just saying that God was looking on the heart, and he was just saying the context of that verse was David was just this little guy, Saul was this big guy, and God was saying, I'm not looking at the size of these guys, I'm looking at the man's heart. But it does matter, but, but, but the point is this, God's work starts and should be from the inside out, not from the outside in. Number four, how we can live truth out before the world around us and it can be imparted to those that we love. As these truths take root in our innermost being, we will be reflecting Christ's way, Christ's truth, His life, living a biblical worldview. I mean, that's the way we ought to be living, a biblical worldview. This is God's plan, to know the truth. To be the truth, to live his truth in a naturally and naturally impart that living and transformational truth to those around us. This, this process of forming a biblical worldview and passing on our faith was established, obviously, in the Bible and the New Testament, can still work in the 21st century. But we face some challenges. I was referring to this earlier. 
We face some challenge, challenges dealing with the influences in our own lives and influences in the society that we're a part of in order to address those challenges. Are you still with me? Uh, I'm giving you... That was the introduction to the little bit that I've got left today in next week's message, okay? And I'm just going to give you this final point today, the power of knowing the truth. The power of knowing the truth, okay? This point, three quick subpoints. Number one, the power of knowing the truth, the truth is knowable. How is it possible that 64% of professing Christians, according to a Barnum, a Barnum poll, say they don't believe in absolute, or don't believe in absolute truth, 80% of young people? How is that possible? Well, if you think about this for a moment, how often have you heard some of these following statements? Now, the first part of a biblical worldview is to believe in the Creator God. That God, the, a true God made and created everything. And we'll talk more about that in days to come. The second part of a worldview is to, or at least one of the parts of the worldview, I guess you could change the order around, but part of it is, what is my purpose for being here? What is my purpose for being here? And, uh, but think about some of these questions that people have. Or say, have, have you ever said any of these statements? Or have you heard other people say these before? Christian people, perhaps. It doesn't matter what you believe. We're all serving the same God. What is that? That's relative truth. It doesn't matter what you believe, does it not? Well, the Bible seems to say that it does matter what you believe. Um, how about this one? I, I've got this one a lot as a preacher in some of these circles before. We set, us, we set doctrine aside so that we can all come together. We set our doctrine aside. What is doctrine? That sounds good, I guess. It doesn't actually sound too good to me because I know what it means. I'm like, what do you mean by setting your doctrine aside? Well, you know, we just, doctrine is teaching. Doctrine is truth. So people say that I'm going to get together with, so, so a preacher will say, I'm going to get together with this other minister over here. And just buckle up because this is going to, what I'm saying is shocking to people today because people, even, even church people and Christian people believe in relative truth. But, but I, I want to get together with this minister over here. First thing I need to ask is, uh, well, what do you believe about Christ? And now, I don't need to just ask about Christ because I need to make sure because the Bible warns that there's those, there's those that believe in another Christ. Which Christ do you believe in? See, I believe in the, in the Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the Christ that I believe in. Uh, you believe in a Christ that says, well, yeah, it's me and fill in the blank. It's me and your works. Or it, it's Christ. Yeah, you need Christ, but you also need this saint and the other saint. You need Christ and you need baptism. Christ isn't really God by some people's estimation. So, but you know, he's a good man and we believe blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, as long as you believe that. No. Folks, I, uh, so those are just things that go on today. So these statements, it doesn't matter what you believe. We, we set aside doctrine so that we can all come together. How about this? This is a really subtle one. You're reading the Bible and uh, I say, hey, read this verse for me, please. Okay, could you tell me what that verse means? And are you ready for this? Here's something we'll say. Well, what this verse means to me is. That sounds harmless enough, doesn't it? 
what this verse means to me was not about what this verse means to me. God said what, God made a statement here. Because what we do with that is, I'm telling you, it is, uh, the, the, the Christian world is inundated with this philosophy, folks. You know, well, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You believe something else, but you know, truth is just as valid as my truth. Sure, that verse says one thing for you, but it says something else for me. <laughs> See, the Bible says clearly, folks, that there is no scripture of any private interpretation. The Bible is not written for you and I just to sit around and say what it means to me. Now understand this, but I want to be very clear. The Bible does mean something to you. It does speak to you directly. And it is true that even in this message today, there's somebody over here that could be getting one thing out of this message, somebody over here that could be getting another thing or benefit out of this message, but it doesn't change the message. So I'm not saying there's anything. The, the Word of God does speak to us. But a lot of times when we make statements like, this says to me, what does it say to you? Now, not, I want to be clear there. Am I being clear enough? I don't, I'm not saying that, man, this verse really convicts me about this thing in my life. Well, this convicts me about that. I'm not saying that it may not speak to us different that way. What I'm just simply saying is, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They ain't know that, what that means to me. It means something. It means that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what it means. Well, Jesus preached on hell. Well, you know what that, what hell means to me is just, is just the suffering of this world. That's what it means to me. Because I don't believe that a loving God could ever have allowed a place like hell to come into existence. So, so people take God's truth and they try to make it palatable to themselves and to others. Folks, that's not the way God's uh, word works. See, too many Christians are not looking at the biblical text in order to know the truth. Uh, if, if you're not careful, you can actually look in the Bible for your truth. The vast majority in our culture, including many professed Christians, say that there is no objective moral truth. In a world with no objectivity or objective moral truth, uh, one cannot claim that, that there is any specific truth and uh, be found uh, in, in, a, in a given Bible verse. In other words, the Bible says something. I'll give you this example. This is something that the world says to us. This is something that Christians say. I will get up here and I will tell you from, from the Bible today the truth that clearly since, a, since murder is wrong, abortion is wrong. Somebody says, well, it's not wrong to that person. It doesn't work that way. They, they may not believe it's wrong, but it doesn't change whether or not it's wrong. You know, we talked about that before. Somebody may not believe in gravity. But it doesn't mean they float away. Truth is truth. There's absolute truth. There's absolute moral truth. The Bible has a lot to say about sexuality and immorality. The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. So I can get up and say, if you are committing adultery, or if you're committing fornication, I can say you have sinned against Almighty God. Then the statement comes back from the pew, who are you to judge? Who am I to judge? Think about this, or, or we shouldn't judge. See, this is a way of just simply saying this, that we have no right to make moral judgments because truth is subjective. 
That is, it was my truth. In other words, that makes all points equal. So it's okay for me to say, well, I feel like my truth is that I believe that uh, you know, immorality is wrong. But no, this isn't my truth. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. I'm telling you, it's just the same thing. Chance, if you jump off this building, you're going to hit hard out here, buddy. You look at me and say, well, I don't believe in gravity, so I'll be fine. That's his truth. So he jumps off the building, and he just keeps on walking. Right north or right on the air, and he's fine, right? No. We, or am I being judgmental? You jump off that roof, you're going to hit hard. You, how dare you judge? How dare you make such a statement? Where do you get off? The same thing. God's truth, folks, is, is not relative. God's truth does not change. See, we live in a time of moral, uh, moral relativism that prides itself on accepting many truths. We have been told that we need to be tolerant of all beliefs without judgment, without being critical, and to think that no one way is better than another way. In fact, the moment anyone claims to have the truth, he or she is labeled arrogant, bigoted, and judgmental. Ain't that sad? Uh, these things... Which we have sub there are things I'll say that are subjective. I mean, you know, we talked about this last week. Somebody may d debate over what's the best flavor of ice cream, what's the flavor of dessert. Now, that really doesn't fall under any kind of absolute truth because uh, really those are subjective feelings, you know, or it's, it's like to each other's preference. Those are subjective preferences. But what I'm telling you is there is a kind of truth that is relative to an individual and can change, but when it comes to moral truths, that's another issue altogether. Uh, I want to be clear on this, by the way. I was talking about the Bible earlier. This verse says to me, understand something. Did you know that the Apostle Paul and Peter disagreed on stuff in the Bible, about the Bible? I mean, we can disagree on stuff in the Bible, and we can agree to disagree on some things in the Bible. I want to say that clearly, all right? That's fine. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, it doesn't mean that there's two different views. One of us is wrong. And whenever we get to heaven one day, you're going to find out it was you. All right? No, I'm just kidding. All right? Uh, but, but seriously, we, we can have these disagreements. But, but I'm, I'll, I'll try to hasten and just say this. Just, just for instance, there's people, just, just say that there's someone out there that believed that rape was right. They believed rape was right. By the way, in, in California, they just uh, a bill just went to the House in the state of California, some of you are familiar with, that uh, they're trying to remove any crim uh, criminality of a uh, man or a woman for that matter, but uh, a man that wants to, uh, wants to abuse, uh, have sex with a minor. So they're given a 10-year gap here. So a 20-year-old man, 10-year-old boy, they don't want to discriminate against that boy and that man for the feelings they're having. Because to them, that is, uh, you know, that's, that's, nothing, there's, that's not wrong to them. Does it make it not wrong? And, and, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. By the way, that is wrong. And Can you believe that I'm telling you that that's actually going on in our country right now? That's actually a bill that went to the, the, the state house of California. 
that it's okay to rape a kid, basically. Uh, they're, they're, they're wanting to decriminalize that. Uh, where does all that come from? Relative truth. Oh, it's wrong to you, but it's not wrong for me. The, 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 the Nazis' argument, I've said many times, at Nuremberg was, okay, sure, you think it's wrong to kill Jews, but we didn't. It's not wrong for us. They're rats. They're vermin. They need to be exterminated. How dare you say, does anybody believe that that was wrong? How dare you? In, in, in the world that we live in today, if you go by the modern culture and by the philosophy, how dare you? Because we're not supposed to think that anything's wrong. Everybody's got their truth. If it's right for you, it's right for you. If it's wrong for me, it's wrong for me. We can just each make up our mind. But folks, that is not right. Moral truth isn't something we create or decide for ourselves. Moral truth is God's nature and character. He's the one who defines moral truth. The basis of everything that we call moral and right springs from the truth that resides in the character of the eternal God who is, who, uh, who is outside of us, above us, and beyond us. We feel like having our own truth somehow is personal and powerful, but I'm telling you, when we discover a truth that's outside of ourselves, it's even more personal and powerful because it's the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth is noble. Truth is transformative. Truth will change you. Lastly, truth is liberating. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, truth will free you. People may not always like to hear the truth, but the truth will free you. Jesus said that the truth will set you free. It'll set you free from sin. It'll set you free from condemnation. It'll set you free from guilt. Wouldn't that be nice to be past your guilt? Man, the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. See, truth is noble. Truth is transformative. Truth is, so truth will change your life. Truth will liberate you. I ask you today, do you know the truth? Now remember, this isn't a multiple choice test here. Your life is the test. Do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? Are you living the truth? If you do not have a relationship with Christ, I want to tell you something, you're missing the truth. Don't be fooled by this world. Jesus Christ, He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. You'll never know what life is if you don't know Jesus. Amen? And I want to tell you something today. And unless you sit there thinking, oh my goodness, how could anybody live the way the Bible says? Well, you can only do it by the grace of God. And let me tell you something else. This is the rest of this message part of it on next week. We all fail still. It's not that any of us live perfect lives. But what it is, is when we, when we do fail, we confess it and we get it right with those whom we've wronged and with God whom we've wronged, and we go on for the glory of God. It's not living a perfect life, but it's living a life that's trying to, trying to bring glory and honor to God. So, uh, so as we all stand this morning, I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your time. I'm going to ask Miss Sonia if she would come and play today. Do you know the truth? Do you know the truth today? Do you know Christ is your Savior? That's the main thing.